0: This podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of Cairns FM 89.1. This is the evolution of intimacy with Ella Shannon. A show about sex, relationships and everything in between. You can start to
1: feel bliss while you're vacuuming. I don't know (laughs) if I've tried that or not. Do I
0: want to try it? What is it? (laughs)
1: Very complex, very interesting. Clogging,
0: whipping, caning. So there I was in my high heels and my little dress.
1: So it is purely a stigma.
0: Healthy sexual expression with other humans.
1: I went to the local women's health centre and went, I think I'm a lesbian, is there a support group? They don't know quite how to talk about it. It's actually a core skill in relationships. That has always worked for me.
0: Welcome to Evolution of Intimacy, Kate. I'm so glad you've been willing to come and have a chat to us today about a topic that has a lot of stigma and is not necessarily Mm. talked about widely, which is herpes. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure.
0: (laughs) So, what is herpes?
1: um, So, herpes is a type of virus and, look, it's been around forever really um i think people like uh, shakespeare have written about it and there's evidence that herpes has been living with humans for thousands and thousands of years um so yeah there's a di- there's a few different types of viruses Chickenpox is one of them for instance that's a herpes virus uh, but when most people think about herpes they'll be thinking about um oral herpes which is getting cold sores Uh, in or around your mouth or genital herpes which is the the one with the most stigma
0: (laughs) it does and it seems that cold sores are quite acceptable people have them and it's not necessarily Mm. fun but it's sort of not really seen as this big taboo thing to say oh yeah i get Mm. cold sores but genital herpes on the other hand is terrifying for people if they do get that diagnosis or first outbreak
1: why do you think that is Um, Well, from my... So I did a bit of research into this last year. And so interestingly, it wasn't... They didn't even distinguish between the two different types of viruses. So when I say that, so um, herpes simplex virus type 1 is the one that most people associate with getting um, orally, so the ones that gives you cold sores on your lips. And then there's um, herpes simplex virus type 2 or HSV2, and that's the one that's usually... Uh, associated with genital infections.
0: Why do you think there is so much stigma?
1: Um, because it's on the genitals and it's to do with sex. Uh, so people have a bit of a, um, yeah, a fair bit of shame and uh, misinformation attacks attached to genital herpes. And um, there's this, uh, I guess, rhetoric in society that an STI, which is what it is, is, is dirty. Um, and therefore it should be shameful, but people don't seem to worry so much if it's, you know, on their lips. They just don't kiss other people when they've got a cold sore, <laughs> generally.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you said there's lots of misinformation out there. Mm. What sort of things do you hear that you know as a sexologist just isn't true?
1: Generally, herpes type 1 will be found around the mouth or oral region, and herpes type 2 has generally been. Um, like a genital infection but what we know is that you can get either virus in either place I guess one of the main misunderstandings um, is that it's it's something that's quite rare and herpes is one of those funny ones where it is an STI um, but it's not it's not a, a notifiable one, which means that if you get, so if you get chlamydia or gonorrhea, um, the health department will will be notified and they keep a track of these infections, so we can see prevalence and statistics around them and put in public health measures. Um, but we've heard these; no one really cares, I suppose, um, which is interesting because you know people in society care very much about it, but health professionals don't tend to. Um, so we don't really know how prevalent it is and that's we don't know how many people actually have it um so generally prevalence is given i think it's about 12 percent, or one in eight people so if you look on any of the uh government health websites they'll say oh you know about 12 percent of the population has genital herpes um and this is based on data from 1999 and the year 2000 and Essentially, they just took some blood samples from people from a diabetes study and tested for um, if they came up positive for HSV1 or HSV2. So this statistic is over 20 years old um, and it also just tells us how many people in that little population had HSV2. It didn't tell us if it was genital or oral. 76% of those people had HSV1. Um, And so there's this, there's this thing that people will associate genital herpes with HSV2 and they look at the stats, and there's really no way of knowing how many people actually have it. Um, and so I think there's this, yeah, people feel very isolated when in fact, like a vast majority of the population will have one or the other. So it's very, very common.
0: You are listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with me, Alice Shannon, a show about sex, relationships and everything in between.
1: Most of us have not been encouraged or taught how to talk about sex. They are curious. Hang on a sec, I'm a woman, I have names now. Whole new level of sensation and pleasure. I looked at my yoni before and after and Mm. I was like, oh my god. You may experience a range of emotions. What we associate as being related to one gender or another to be changed all the time. Pleasure is our birthright. You're on these massive doses of steroids. I look like Burt Newton. I wouldn't have been attracted to myself. (laughs) So they were just so happy to know that A, they weren't alone, and B, that this was like a legitimate thing. And that actually sounds really lovely and erotic, really pleasurable.
0: It's a secret
1: mind-blowing.
0: Yeah. I guess people don't go advertising to each other that they have it either. It's something you probably keep quite personal, so therefore it just adds to that stigma of I'm the only one who's gone through this.
1: Yeah, it does. It's not something that people really, I guess, are open or want to talk about because of that fear. Um, But we do find that when people you know, open up to their friends or or their family or their close circle um, when they've been diagnosed, suddenly all of these other people are like, oh, me too. Oh, wow. And you've got all of these people who are having pretty much the same experience.
0: So what would you notice if perhaps you feel that you've um, contracted HSV2, Mm. genital herpes for the first time? What might that feel like or look like?
1: Yeah, sure, and I just want to um, make a point on that is that you can get HSV-1 genital infection. So when we talk about genital herpes, if someone has um, an HSV-1 infection on their mouth, that can get transferred to the genital. So when we say genital herpes, we mean HSV-1 or HSV-2, okay. which is why the stats are so difficult to interpret. Um, but yeah, just going on from that, uh, often you'll find initially... Uh, With the first infection, you'll get a bit of tingling on the skin. Um, So if you have a penis, that could be anywhere um, on the penis or the scrotum area. Um, If you have a vulva, that can be on the labia uh, or anywhere internal as well. Um, That can also come up on the thighs or the buttocks. And what you might see is some um, small red lesions that appear. Sometimes they look a little bit like blisters. Um, And if it's your first infection, episode of of herpes you may also feel like a bit coldy like you've got a bit of a head cold or a flu for a couple of days. Is it dangerous? No and I I say no living um, in a place I guess where like sexual health and um, access to, to medical care is quite I don't know, free and easy, really. Um, the, the risks with herpes, so genital herpes risks. Some people say, oh, what about if you if you have a baby? So neonatal herpes is about, I think it's one one in uh, ten thousand births potentially. I'll need to check that stat, but it, it's very rare um, that a person giving birth that has a genital herpes infection will pass it on to the baby. And this is particularly in Western society as well. Um, so the risks are a little bit higher if it's a new infection, like in the final trimester, but generally there's no risk um, to the baby. And the other potential risk is, that we know of is the increased risk of HIV contraction. Um, so that's just if, if uh, you're a man who's having sex with a man or you're in a, a higher risk population um, genital herpes, if, particularly if you've got sores in that region, um, that means that you may have a higher risk of contracting HIV. Oh, is
0: but that because it creates a, a place where that infection could get into the body or the system? Is that kind of the correlation? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah.
1: So if if you if you if someone has um, like a herpes infection around the anus, say, and they're they're having unprotected sex, that is where the um, the HIV infection may occur, that's where the risk lies. Okay. Um, and I'm saying that as well in a context. In, in Australia, the HIV prevalence rate is super low. So, you know, herpes infections can be a little more dangerous um, in some countries where there's a higher HIV prevalence or different sexual practices. But in the context of Australia and most Western countries, it's really, really benign and super common. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's not really much to worry about if you actually get it physically.
0: What, what would you do if you did get it and go, oh, yep, I'm pretty sure that's herpes. What do you do
1: next? <laughs> yeah, so you just need to um, make an appointment with a GP that you trust. Uh, so the best way to, well, really the only way that you'll get a confirmed diagnosis is um, called a NAT test, nucleic acid something, something, a ray test, I think it is, and they actually take a little swab. So you need to have a, a visible lesion or sore and they will take a swab of that and just confirm that it is um, a herpes infection and they'll be able to tell you if it's type 1 or type 2. Um, you can get a blood test, but again, if you don't... Yeah, if you have symptoms, it may be able to confirm a likelihood, but if you don't have symptoms and you come up positive for... HSV type 1 or type 2 that won't tell you that you've got a a genital herpes infection, that'll Mm. just tell you that you've had herpes in your body at some point Ah, okay
0: that's interesting and (laughs) is there, like can you get rid of it, is there medications you can take and then it's gone or or what happens?
1: Mm. So at the moment um, there's no cure for it Uh, so it just lives in your body, Um, so generally if you've got an, an oral infection it'll come out to the surface and then it will retreat back into your body and it'll stay around um, your cervical spine so around the base of your neck that just tends to be where oral infections live Um, and if you get a general infection it will uh, go back into your body and stay around the sacral spine which is right at the end of your tailbone. Um, What you can do is I mean if you feel uh, that you're getting a bit of a tingle or you feel like oh a bit run down you know I might Might be going to get an outbreak soon because stress can definitely bring this on as can um, like menstruation and just, you know, general (laughs) burnout, um, which I know a lot of us are feeling at the moment. Uh, So if you're worried about it, you can start taking some antiviral medication and generally that will be, you know, for a week um, when you start feeling symptoms, you take the antivirals for a week just to manage that episode. Um, Some people can take what they call a suppression course. So you can take antivirals daily for, say, six months or so just to suppress the virus if it's something that's bothering you a little bit. Um, but, I mean, really there's no there's no cure for it and it's very easy to treat um, topically or with the antiviral medication. Antivirals are brilliant.
0: Great. Great that there is mm-hmm. um, something to support people through it if it is, like yeah. you said, not something that um, they're coping well with. If you have herpes or you've had it in mm. the past but you don't have any lesions or sores, mm-hmm. can, can you pass it on to a sexual partner still or is that quite safe?
1: Um, look, you can. It depends. This is, again, where it depends on the, on the viral infection that you have. So we know that if you have um, a HSV-1 genital infection, then you tend to be, you'll have less symptoms generally, like this is generally speaking, um, and you don't seem to uh, shed the virus as much. So viral shedding is either when you actively have lesions in that area or when the virus is just active and will just shed its particles um, through through your skin, so through your genital area. And... Look, that that can um, virus. The virus can be transmitted that way. So, someone with a um, it's more common if you have a, an HSV two genital infection and you have symptoms. That's generally when um, you'll be able to transmit it. But yes, we do know that if you if you don't have symptoms, you can still transmit the virus. Um, which I guess is why you know safe sex is good. <laughs> So do using protection.
0: yeah, do condoms and dental dams and other barrier um, safe sex uh, items stop you from contracting herpes?
1: Um, well, I mean, nothing's a hundred percent, but yes, they definitely uh, give you a safe barrier. Um, so a few things with with protection. So if you if you're a penis owner, the most common uh, area that you will uh, transmit or um, contract the virus from will be around the tip because it's it's a moist uh, skin surface and that's where this virus loves to you know loves to live and loves to be transferred. So if you think about it, like um, like oral herpes on the mouth, your mouth is like this wet. They call it a mucosal membrane. And so if you think about the genital equivalent, it'll be around the tip of the penis. And if you're a vulva owner, it'll be around the labia um, and the vagina. So just if you think about that, the area for a vulva owner to contract the virus um, is a lot bigger. So in fact, if you're a penis owner and you're wearing a condom, um, your risk is pretty low. Mm. Uh, with, um, With vulva owners... Yeah, look, dental dams are a great, great way to go. Um, Or using toys and fingers rather than mouths.
0: Yeah. Mm. So therefore, if you can share it with somebody, Mm -hmm. is it the type of thing that you should let potential new sexual partners know that you've had this in the past? Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on, yeah, being upfront about having had it in the past?
1: I find this question really complicated, Mm -hmm. um, but I'll answer it as simply as possible. Sure. Uh, I think... uh, I was having a chat with someone this morning, actually. So disclosure can, in a way, um, amplify the stigma if it's done... I guess if it's done in a way where, you know, your diagnosis of herpes becomes, you know, the key factor of whether or not someone will have sex with you. Um, and that, I mean, that's a social issue that I don't think that we can really get into. Um, I think it's really up to the person and and how they feel. I'm personally an advocate um, for disclosure, particularly if if it's someone that you're going to be seeing often um, and potentially without barriers. So I think in a, you know, in a relationship, yeah, I think disclosure is is important. Um, But I I guess on the flip side, I can also understand why someone might not. Um, And... Oh, I think that's a bit of a personal conundrum for people to to navigate on their own. Uh, There's a few things that we we know in terms of whether disclosure impacts sexual behaviour. If someone is not symptomatic, their sexual behaviour isn't going to change. Their sexual health practices are not going to change regardless if people know about it or not. But I guess disclosure can create that... uh, that trust dynamic and that negotiation around sexual health practices and, you know, just that open dialogue about what's happening with your body. So, yeah, I can't I can't say yes or no either way. I think that's something for people to, to navigate and live with on their own.
0: Yeah, it does sound like mm. a very personal choice. I mean, certainly if there was a um,
1: current outbreak,
0: then you would have, mm. a, you know, a... Ethical obligation to share that with the person you're going to be sexual with so they can have informed consent, but absolutely, yeah, it gets a bit murky otherwise, doesn't it? Of what's the right thing to do, and am I making a big deal out of something that's not really going to come into play?
1: The other issue with it, like that little dilemma, is that if someone, like if they've had a blood test that tells them that they have HSV2, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a genital infection because they could have. Um, contracted it orally through oral sex. Yeah. So they may, um, they may not, and you can't. No one knows if they're if they're shedding the virus or not. And I'm not saying this to, to make people afraid. I'm just saying you know it, it's a it's a normal thing that's that's out there in the world. And um, I think there's far more worrisome things to be concerned about than than this little virus.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. How do you think we can go about, as a society, reducing mm. the stigma so that people can feel more comfortable if they contract it, it's not the end of the world, or just to mm. talk about it with each other a bit more?
1: i really like to see, especially uh, in schools, the... I don't know about you, Ella, but I remember just my sexual health um, lessons were basically these are all the STIs and you know, don't have sex or have sex with a condom so you don't get any of these horrible, awful things. And I find those messages quite damaging. So I'd really like to like to change the way that we talk about risk and sex because, I mean, STIs are everywhere. People get colds and flus and they take some cold and flu tablets. You know, we, we get sick from being around each other an STI is, is just a bacteria or a, a viral infection that we pick up from having sex with each other and it can be treated and managed just as well as anything. Mm. Um, but I, I think the, the real way to reduce stigma around it and increase people's understanding is to, is to try and be brave and just be open about it. It's a really hard thing because it puts people in a very vulnerable position where they could get rejected or teased or joked about. Yeah, I think as a society we just need to be a bit more open about, you know, who's got it and being okay with it. It doesn't mean anything.
0: So normalising it a bit more and helping young people not feel shame if that comes up for them.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Because uh, the only reason that it's, it's seen as shameful is because it's related to sex. People don't get shamed about having um, oral herpes in the same way. Sure. Mm. Well,
0: Kate, thank you so much for coming along and sharing a (laughs) bit of your expertise and helping us to reduce some of that stigma and just normalise this as part of many people's lives and what will happen in healthy sexual expression with other humans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is everywhere and we'll, we'll always have to live with it. Yeah, don't, don't let it stop you being awesome and open and, and just enjoying your sex life.
0: Beautiful. Thank you, Kate.
1: You're so welcome.
0: You've been listening to The Evolution of Intimacy with Ella Shannon.
1: We're feeling juicy the whole day. Every desire I could possibly think of. What sort of impact would it have?
0: They
1: want it, they're gonna go and get it. They don't think of long-term consequences. Oh, did that feel really nice? Oh, yes, that felt really delicious.
0: Being able to feel good about my body again, that's been a huge thing.
1: All anybody really wants in this world is to feel seen and heard. We actually do have a lot that connects us physically. It's making people feel good. There is a real sense of hopefulness that returns in a relationship a really beautiful thing take that beauty and that calmness and that bliss and that sense of peace out into the world
0: thank you for listening and i hope we've inspired you with our juicy conversations on this episode of the evolution of intimacy if you would like to go deeper you can book a session of relationship counselling, sex therapy or individual counselling via my website. I work in person in Cairns, Tropical Far North Queensland or I can meet you online anywhere in the world. Or you might prefer to go at your own pace with my 12-lesson Relationship and Intimacy online course. To book or to listen to previous episodes, visit my website ellashannon.com com or follow me on the socials at evolution of intimacy finally please go to itunes and write me a quick review if you're feeling kind thank you lovelies and see you next time this podcast was produced and recorded in the studios of cairns fm 89.1